Well, uh, good evening. It's about uh, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. <clears throat> you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. The show is Gray Matters. My name is Dick Whaley, and this is the weekly news and media talk show. Uh, a lot of construction around WCBN in the basement of the Student Activities Building on the campus of the University of Michigan. So, yeah, Jim may be having some parking difficulties. I noticed they <laughs> closed off another part of uh, uh, William quite recently. Anyway, uh, one of the oldest uh, con games in the world, and I'm giving and revealing this information for the <clears throat> uninitiated, is the man with three cups and one ball who gets a crowd around and he takes the ball and he throws it under the cups and there's three cups and you know he's got a lot of hands moving and a lot of cups moving and then of course he plants a uh, a person in the uh, crowd who he's in cahoots with and he lets that guy win in other words he's manipulating the placement of the ball to allow his cohort who he's in cahoots with, cohort cahoots, you'll got to love it. Uh, and this convinces the people around that they can win at this game. It's a sleight of hand trick. And, of course, the way it works at the end of the day is there aren't, are, are no balls under any of the three cups. There's nothing there. And it struck me uh, over this past weekend, um, you know, with the heat wave in Europe, the heat wave in the eastern United States, the World Cup, the Stonewall, the celebrations and the gay pride marches here and there, um, that nobody was actually paying attention to the G20 summit in uh, Japan. Um, because what's interesting about the countries that assembled is Donald Trump has had tumultuous relations with just about all of them. Most of those countries are either under sanctions or under some sort of tariff situation that's uh, chilled uh, personal uh, diplomatic relations for the time being. And Donald Trump, of course, keeps playing this game that it's all about him and his personal diplomacy and uh, <clears throat> all he needs is more time to make a deal. Well, of course, we didn't see any deals of any significance over the week or over the weekend. And then Trump, of course, pulls this sort of last-second uh, stunt, a con job, uh, involving going to the DMZ and crossing the magic line in which he can claim that uh, he visited North Korea. And <clears throat> Kim Jong-un, of course, was up for this uh, little stunt, uh, and it worked magnificently, so, so to speak. But I think there's a lot of skepticism about uh, what this really accomplished. And one has to believe that this had been set up months ago uh, by Trump and Kim Jong-un. After all, they have been exchanging letters. But what this actually accomplished is anybody's guess. <clears throat> of course, North Korea has nuclear weapons. 
and it's really coming down to whether or not they can um, pursue missile testing or, or what have you. North Korea's, Korea's real uh, strength militarily, by the way, is not the nuclear weapon. It's the fact that they have conventional weapons uh, embedded into some of the many of the mountains, and this has always prevented a invasion uh, from South Korea involving the United States. A little noisy due to the uh, music review going on around the corner. Sorry for that little brief interruption. <clears throat> so in any event, um, nothing was accomplished with the handshaking gesture of Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. And it was interesting. Uh, I heard uh, some South Koreans interviewed uh, just last week um, regarding this whole uh, possible meeting which was sort of thrown out there at the last second. And <clears throat> what was fascinating was that the younger South Koreans, of course, thought that the whole thing was a joke, that they really got a kick out of the, the love letters and <laughs> the stroking and, uh, you know, he's an excellent guy and this, that, and the other. Of course, they're buddies in arms because they're, One's an authoritarian dictator, and one wants to be an authoritarian dictator. And, of course, nothing has ever been accomplished uh, uh, from the uh, meetings with Kim Jong-un. Uh, here's an interesting letter to the editor from a year ago <clears throat> when they uh, first met, June 13th. It's a short letter. I'll read it. It should come as no surprise that President Trump and Kim Jong-un would get along famously after all. Both are bellicose, arrogant, imperious, and brash. Both enjoy the great deal of power they wield and relish the ability to use that power brutally. Both were born into great wealth. Finally, both are somewhat rotund and the sport unusual and they both sport unusual hairstyles. How apt that they are becoming bosom buddies. Well, <laughs> Jim Dwyer joining the program a little late here. Bosom pals, indeed. Uh, I have been arguing for a while now that <clears throat> part of what is potentially really going on here is the fact that uh, Trump's got one eye on where do I go if I need to get out of Dodge real quick? Sure. That's the getaway vehicle. I think a defection to North Korea is, is in the works. I think... The whole weird business of Ivanka tagging along, not just to Korea, but trying to insert herself into uh, discussions between actual heads of state and trade, twenty trade negotiations. Yeah. She's in the photograph of the uh, trying the to stare down between throw her two cents yeah. in as Theresa May and Macron and uh, Macron and other European uh, elected officials. <laughs> have a discourse on various trade policies. Um, you know, this is just one glorious undeveloped peninsula for the Trump family to uh, rebrand in their own image. Um, great beaches. As great Trump beaches. Said. Uh, I think John Bolton was on a scouting location for potential Trump hotel properties in Mongolia, <laughs> which is where he was during the uh, Korean... Um, I don't know. They they should have thrown down a uh, 
stunt. It was a stunt, in essence. Yeah. Why not play a game of Twister in the DMZ? You know, left hand on green. I've crossed over the line. It's almost like Yosemite Sam and Bugs Bunny. (laughs) I dare you to cross this line. Uh, so yeah, it was meaningless. A, it I mean, was a stunt, yeah. and what it was designed to do was was I think um, deflect attention from the fact that Trump was a big flop at the G20, uh, no deals. China, of course, is holding holding fast to their position, and I think North Korea will hold fast to their position. The issues involving North Korea and the United States are far from from being settled, and. Um, it's interesting that China, Iran, and um, North Korea all sort of overlap repeatedly uh, in the news. This was part of my <laughs> three card, my my three cup Monty game. You know, where, where's the ball? Uh, because Trump likes to keep talking about these three issues, along with, of course, his tariffs, his uh, immigration policies, and uh, lately he's come around to attacking the Federal Reserve Chairman for some bizarre reason, probably because attacking Mueller at this point uh, looks like bad form. Oh, there'll be time for that later. Uh, For example, July 17th. Yeah. Mueller actually (laughs) testifies, so. Well, he announced he's he's appearing. He's going to comply with a subpoena, and part of it, I'm sure, at some point— More than Kellyanne Conway can say in his own mind, at least, is, I, you know, I'm kind of irritated by these continued attacks by Trump after I've indeed s- submitted my report. And, of course, Trump lies about the report uh, constantly. Uh, it is not an exoneration by any stretch of the imagination. Many issues are still under investigation by other courts. <clears throat> Roger Stone's trial is... Uh, is up and coming. Imminent, uh, yeah, I think end of the month, early August. And we still await a Senate intelligence report about Russian meddling. Good to see Donald Trump and Putin joking about that. Uh, well, you know, what better way to commemorate the near one-year anniversary of a little maneuver I like to call the Helsinki reach-around. He helsinki Trump's battleship. Where uh, uh, he stood right there on the podium and said, well, you know, uh, my intelligence people say this, but uh, Putin's very forceful in his he's standing right there. And he says, no, they did not meddle. So, I, you know, I I believe that guy. Um, Why not just sort of, you know, throw the joke? I don't know how good Putin's English is, but you can see the clip uh, where Trump sort of jokingly says, oh, I'll, I'll tell him, yeah, don't meddle in the elections. Ha, ha, ha. Sure. And of course, we, we'll never be able to measure the total impact of the Russian influence on the election. Uh, as I've pointed out, Hillary Clinton lost for 25 different reasons. Um, but it's interesting that just this <clears throat> past or a couple of weeks ago, they had a a story about uh, the 1.3 million followers of a bot on her Instagram account who... Uh, model who doesn't exist a virtual Mm -hmm. news anchor fake models and a digital colonel sanders tests limits computer generated influencers on the rise this of course is part of the bots the uh, use of social media manipulation in the election that's been documented. We're talking about 126 million people on Facebook and 7 million on Twitter. 
Well, and, you know, let's give some of the uh, fault where it lies on the receiving end. Uh, everybody knows somebody who's like spends all damn day looking at their phone. Sure. And that is a kind of mental illness that leads itself to the exploitation that this whole bot industry is exactly directed towards. Sure. The people who can't recognize that this is merely a tool. It is a device which I use momentarily throughout the day. It is not an oracle. It no. is not a palantir. It is not an endless source for amusement and recreation. If you're spending that much time on your phone, get help. Get help. something wrong. And also, it, it's occurred to me that the famous, uh, <clears throat> um, shall we say, uh, archetype of when the tree falls in the forest doesn't make a sound. And I think we're entering a new era in which if it's not online, it doesn't exist. Right. And that is equally alarming. You know, it's fascinating in, in connection. I, I didn't see the debates last week uh, other than about an hour um, in which I bopped into the bar around the corner from the Michigan Theater where you and I both were watching 2001. I was checking in on the Michigan baseball game, but it looked hopeless. But I noticed there was a decent crowd in the patio region watching the debate. So I said, yeah, sure, I'll have a brewski and watch the debate for that a while. was night one or night two? Night one. Okay. Uh, it was somewhat dull. And I have to criticize the moderators once again. They just don't ask imaginative questions. I don't need to hear a rehashing of LBGTQ issues and, uh, you know, one of the questions was, what are you going to do about Mitch McConnell? <laughs> like, I think that was directed at Elizabeth Warren. I did see the animated exchange between Castro and Beto. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a cautious night, by and large, and dull. If you ha are having a debate in Florida, by the way, ask some questions about the state of Florida. Um, it's a bellwether state in a number of different ways, uh, environmentally, sure. economically, uh, the troubles that they've had with uh, problems in fair uh, elections. Uh, it's been announced. Gun violence. That, oh, gun violence <laughs> is a big issue there. Uh, a couple of uh, specific counties in Florida were directly targeted by uh, Russian sure. intelligence operations. We don't know which ones. Yeah, you're right. There's a number of very good Florida-related questions. And they did. That, they uh, did the panel. same thing last in 2016 when the debate was in Nevada. Nevada had a lot of very interesting political controversies related to uh, renewable energy, uh, labor unions represent represented in the uh, hospitality industry, and all kinds of things. Uh, and th these questions are never asked. They're just sort of, they want to fall back on the usual talking points. You know, what do you, how big is your tax cut going to be? They don't talk about the real issues. And in fact, the Democrats, in my opinion, are kind of already in big trouble. I don't agree with Trump that the election is over because it's a long way off. And not that many people are paying attention, although... The second night did set an all-time uh, debate-watching record, uh, and that was a little more animated. Uh, Kamala Harris, obviously, well, I think there were lessons planned a lot the of timidity yeah. of the first night 
Um, you know, to her credit, in a way, Elizabeth Warren politely raised her hand on that first night when she wanted to jump back in with a point. I mean, that is correct and proper debate protocol. Sure. Uh, you don't just throw yourself uh, and your voice over everybody else's back into it. But, of course, that is what happened the second night. It, it was more animated. It, it might make for better viewing whether or not that's the correct model of public discourse. It's another question, but again, that's a little bit down to the moderators. Yeah, and she had her zingers prepared. That was uh, skillful on her part. She waited for that moment to uh, attack Biden uh, over his clumsy uh, boasting a couple of weeks ago about working with James uh, Eastland and uh, Senator Talmadge from Georgia. I'm forgetting his first name. Uh, they were both segregationists. Talmadge, by the way, is a famous Georgia political family. And if the Democrats are arguing about busing issues from the 1970s, they are in big trouble. Yeah, for her to use that example is, you know, a, a nice illustrator of her personal story. But that is not an issue to revisit in any way. I think there's a lot of people, maybe even under 40, who don't even really know what busing was no. uh, or how it uh, affected and impacted families. In Kamala Harris's case, it was a great positive thing. That, as it happens, was an instance of voluntary busing, which some communities chose to do. Uh, the problem with that program was it had great intentions, but the consequences were very upsetting for families in my own family. Uh, there was an age line drawn in our neighborhood grade school sure and i and i think fourth grade was not going to be bust but my sister two years younger in second grade was to be bust and she was bust i still don't even know to this day exactly where the school she went to was but it was about an hour each way yeah for a second grader to be bust that far out of their neighborhood there's a reason why there are many reasons why uh, busing was not a popular program. It's not just because people were racist because they were against it. It was disruptive. Well, it was, it was complicated. And for instance, well uh, there were some very ugly incidents. I recall uh, when I was in junior high, just because I was a news junkie back then in Boston, because Boston had court ordered busing. Mm -hmm, yeah. And there were almost riots and that sort of thing. And, then, of course, busing was a big is issue that George Wallace exploited in 1968 uh, for his uh, segregation, now segregation forever <laughs> platform. Uh, kind of something that Donald Trump has revived in his own weird way. But I'm not saying that I think Kamala Harris is trying to reinstitute that as an idea or as a policy. But I think there's a huge number of people who don't really have even the faintest grasp on what busing was. Yeah, and you can, unfortunately, you would think, bring up better examples of working bipartisanly as a On Biden's part? Yeah. yeah, that was a weird uh, sort of a fallback. Clumsy. And, of course, Eastland was actually a big ally of Nixon. Uh, Talmadge was a little more of a Democrat, but, you know, I just... I, I, I didn't understand that a couple of weeks ago on Biden's part. It's part of this tendency of politicians to brag about things where there's no point in bragging about it. You know, there are advantages to bipartisanship. And, you know, we did see this past week, unfortunately, after the image, you know, the, the famous photograph and, and the debate about should this be on the front page of the newspapers and published and all that. 
And of course, I don't have any problem with it um, because I think that it's reality. Well, you know, and it moves yeah. people. You know, it 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 actually forced Congress to rapidly spend some money. There, but of course, there, the Democrats. Uh, quickly gave the money and they didn't have enough time for the internal debate which was a little hasty um and maybe again the photo is leading to a bit of an overreaction sure. there but publishing the photo i mean it it's one of those photos that 50 years from now will be one of the telling images of the era there are certain photos People of a certain age will remember the notorious photo from Vietnam of the two young children running down the street, the girl with her arms up, her clothes have been burned off in an yep. napalm attack as U.S. troops go down the street into this village on the so-called pacification uh, detail. Um, that was an image that's burned into everybody of a certain generation's mm -hmm. mind. Uh, this is one of those images. It is, and it's also, of course, a personal human tragedy. I mean, I, I don't know if we, uh, you know, I think we can credibly believe that that he put the, the little girl on the one side in the American side of the of the bank and went back to get the wife. And what else would a two year old do mm -hmm. but jump in the water again? You know, that that's a fearful situation for all kinds of reasons, but that's what's going on. And uh, the Trump administration's immigration policies are a catastrophe in all sorts of level. In fact, I think he's making he, he's encouraging more uh, asylum seeking and more, uh, shall we say, risky crossings of the border as this particular family was engaged in. And by the way, don't be surprised if over the next couple of months there is a decline in uh, illegal crossings. But that's because of the weather. Yeah. It's just simply too hot to try and make it through um, those huge tracts of land down there in the southwest. We've seen the weather pattern change here uh, recently, but human beings cannot survive very long in 115-degree weather outside. And, you know, you literally have to carry your own water if you're not quickly— <clears throat> Meeting your contact on the other side of the river, uh, literally, um, you know, you're in big trouble. And um, well, speaking of water, uh, these compounds that uh, migrants are being herded into because of the way in which the process is being overwhelmed and the way that the process is intentionally being set up to fail by the administration, uh, there's people crammed into spaces designed for eight people. There's 40 people. There's no water. People are being told you'll have to drink out of the back of the toilet. Yeah. If no. you want any water in this facility. The whole thing is is total a total disgrace. And some of these private corporations, it's already been extensively reported, are donating money to Donald Trump's reelection because they've been hired, you know, privatization of these sorts of problems because the American uh, immigration system is too complicated and well, that goes dysfunctional. Back to, to the Dick Cheney model, too, of, well, uh, we can cut some corners on the war in Iraq by s shipping this work out to private firms, uh, some of whom I control, uh, have a controlling interest in. Right. Never mind that I'm making a little uh, extra cashola on the side. Um, this uh, report, by the way, 
about migrant businesses booms for contractors with Trump ties is dated from a year ago. Um, this has been one of many stories about that. Um, I'll just quote briefly from this article dated the 5th of July uh, 2018, almost to the year of, of this show. It says many nonprofits, corporations, and religious groups watching over migrant children detained at the southwest border have been in this business for years, and they have a history of political connections, donating millions of dollars to Democrats and Republicans alike. And then they go on to note that the new federal policies greatly expand the number of migrants held in detention, which, of course, is what we were talking about, how these facilities get overwhelmed, uh, a policy that Trump clearly um, reversed from the Obama years because uh, Obama had to deal with this problem, certainly. Um, but uh, as as the number of migrants have expanded, it's becoming clear that some of the players in this billion-dollar industry have particularly strong ties to the Trump administration. The president's education secretary provided funding to one of the groups. His defense secretary sat on the board of another Mr. Trump's own inauguration fund collected $500,000 from two private prison companies housing detained migrant families. It's just an amazing situation. This article, by the way, was written by Ben, uh, Manny Fernandez, uh, Kitty Bennett, and Ben Protess uh, from over a year ago. And this has been ongoing. Uh, this is... Uh, I don't know. This is just disgraceful job creation. <laughs> Trump probably will run on re-election down in the, the, the Southwest about all the jobs that he's created in connection with housing migrant children and families. It's uh, rather remarkable, but for Trump, it's par for the course. And one wonders if Ivanka's presence at the Chinese trade talks was part of the original, you know, underhanded deal where China granted her some trademarks in oh, China. Right. Of course, it rapidly became obvious that Ivanka Trump's handbags and shoes and whatever else she was selling uh, were not going to fly in the United States. <laughs> oh, shocking that this overpriced merchandise is not being bought up by the the uh, professional shoppers of New York City, San Francisco, Chicago, and well, and there's this Miami too. I remember when the chain of stores called Nordstrom announced that they were no longer going to yeah. carry Ivanka's goods. Their stock went up, you know, sure, almost five points the next day. Well, it's it's so there is a cost in association with uh, the stink. Well, yeah, and it's like it's the humiliation of mm -hmm. being caught with. <laughs> Seen with an Ivanka handbag, it's like, no, 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 <laughs> I'm not going down that path. Uh, all kinds of weird stuff about branding. Apparently, there's new uh, evidence that some of these fashion companies are actually paying um, people like Snooky to wear a certain <laughs> a certain uh, shirt or handbag, well, yeah, you know, I mean to discredit them. Oh, the band, the brand. Interesting. Okay. 
we don't actually make this handbag, but we'll pay you quite a bit Find of money. somebody who's kind of hated and uh, will pay you to wear this thing that I, then everybody will go, oh, she wears one of those? Well, I'm that stupid. That's it. <laughs> I'm done. I got to go hide under a rock and check my cell phone. Well, I mean, that is kind of what's happening to the Trump brand, right? The, yeah. uh, uh, across the, uh, the, the global empire of hotels, they are pretty much in uh, decline. Well, and and it's interesting because the Chinese... Much like America's standing in the world, Sure. Well, that that was what was so remarkable about the G20. I I just don't... (laughs) Did Trump get along with anybody? Uh, Did anybody want to be seen with him? You know, he really has become damaged merchandise because he's wackadoodle in in so many ways. Uh, These recent attacks on the Federal Reserve chairman are just... Totally bizarre. Um, and, of course, you know, he was dealt another defeat over the week. The Supreme Court with the with the uh, citizenship question on the census. But you kind of wonder, is Trump going to get the census done correctly? <laughs> yeah, who's in charge of that one? And uh, are they the acting uh, head of uh, one or two other uh, projects? Well, just to remind you, you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Uh, Yazoo City Calling is coming up next uh, shortly on this fine station. Thanks to Andrew for engineering this evening. And uh, uh, do stay tuned and uh, stay informed. In 1904, the American Lung Association was created to fight the killer lung disease, tuberculosis. Today, they're fighting big tobacco, bad air, and the asthma epidemic. For decades, they battled tuberculosis and saved lives, providing medical care, research, and public health education. In 1944, an effective treatment was finally found. Now the American Lung Association has new enemies to fight and more lives to save. Enemies like cigarettes, air pollution, and asthma. To join the fight, dial 1-800-LUNG-USA or log on to lung.org. Thursday nights at 7, it's Face the Music. 60 minutes of vintage recordings, traditional jazz, and other analgesics. A public service of Radio Free Ann Arbor. Broadcasting from the University of Michigan, WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. In Technicolor. Henry Brown in the background doing the Deep Morgan Blues telling you it's time for Yazoo City Calling here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Jerry Mack, your host this evening for an hour-long excursion into the land of Delta Blues and early urban blues performed and lived by the men and women who started it all. This track found on the Magpie release of various 
Paramount recordings done around uh, 